Street Epistemology is a wonderful approach that anyone can learn. You can learn more about Street Epistemology at streetepistemology.com. Hey everybody, uh, I am very excited to do another breakdown video of a street epistemology uh, critique by Daniel Ray. And today I have a whole suite of guests with me. We've got Anthony Magnabosco, we've got Reeve from Cordial Curiosity, Michael from Live Well, we've got uh, Mark from Being Reasonable, and we've got Rom uh, here. Rom, you don't have a YouTube channel just yet, do you? I do. It's in Russian. You do? Oh, yeah. sweet. Okay. Well, for the Russian viewers there, we got Rom here. Rom's been helping us with the course. And instrumental. Yeah. Um, I'm really excited to uh, dig into uh, this video today. What do you guys think? Yeah. Oh, yeah. This, yeah. I watched this maybe a month or so ago or four, three or four weeks ago. And we put it in the queue to do the review on, but we've been swamped with other projects. It's been a while since we've done a review video. But we have lots of videos that we want to review. It's just a matter of finding the time to do it. Which, by the way, this might be a good opportunity to say, like, if you're into SE and you want to do a review video, just reach out to us. We can set you up with one or two of us here. Bring on some of your SE friends and talk about a video that caught your attention. Doesn't have to be just us doing this, by the way. Hey, everyone. Yeah, the more the merrier. The more voices we have out there doing SE, the more we can see variations on how it's done. And that's something that I actually want to start right off the bat uh, with talking directly to Daniel. Um, I love watching your content, Daniel, and you seem to have a lot to say about street epistemology and how to um, you know, have conversations with people with differing views. And so there's going to be a reoccurring theme you'll hear from me today, which is show me how it's done uh, so I can learn from you because uh, you seem to have a lot uh, to say about talking to other people. And so I want to issue a formal challenge based off of what we heard uh, in this video we're about to review, which is please go out to a park and sit with a sign that says, what do you believe in why? or something to that effect, really. You can put your own creative twist on it and show me how you would investigate a belief in reincarnation or show me how you would investigate a belief in astrology or something that you don't hold. And I wanna see how open-minded you are to what you hear and also like what questions you'd ask to bridge a gap of understanding if you don't believe and they do believe what could get you to where they are. Uh, what questions could you ask? How can you learn from them? And that I think will be a reoccurring theme here today. So um, any, does anyone else have anything else to say about this video before we get started? Not necessarily about the video, but about your challenge. I think that's good advice. Uh, that was similar to what I mentioned to the guy who said he's, he's using SE with his wife and she thought it was a manipulation. And he suggested, Maybe I can start teaching her how to do this so she can use it for a claim that her brother made that she thought was worth exploring. And I thought that that was a great idea. That's, that might be one of the best ways to better understand SE is to actually do it and see if it's as nefarious or insidious as maybe you think that it is. So 
Um, that would be amazing to see. For a very long time, I've wanted to see theists use this approach, especially people who are critical of what we're doing. Uh, even like uh, uh, academic epistemologists, for example. So if you have experience in philosophy or psychology, or you don't just have to be a critic. But if you don't like this, show us how it should be done better rather than just saying, stop doing what you're doing or I don't like what you're doing. Help us get past the hump that you think that we're stuck at in your view would be my advice. So yeah, I think that's great. And we'd be happy to incorporate any of that new knowledge into SE if that's something that was effective. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Absolutely. So what was this video? This was, uh, was he a guest on somebody else's channel and being interviewed about street epistemology? Is that the gist of this video? And then he's being interviewed, I think. Yeah. Is that the deal? Yep. Okay. Uh, we got a couple of timestamps too. This, this is a long video. So we identified eight or nine timestamps that caught our attention. So if you want to watch the whole video, we'll include a link to this, but we're picking up on some of the things that caught our attention. So maybe right from the start, maybe there's somewhat of a bias, but I'm, I'm thinking that we probably picked the juiciest ones, at least from our perspective. Any thoughts? Yep, this is the highlights of the uh, video and we'll uh, start with this clip, here we go. To, to sort of doubt and question your faith. Uh, so a manual for creating atheists, we need to probably make this really clear. Bogosian sets out a couple of erroneous de uh, definitions of faith. Um, not long after the book came out, Peter Bogosian was in a debate on Unbelievable with Justin Brierley. And Peter Bogosian was debating a professional philosopher whom I know and have talked to and have interviewed and have, uh, have had on our book club, Tim McGrew. Uh, Tim, you may know his wife, Lydia. Uh, they're both published. And, 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 and so uh, Tim is a professional philosopher. And he he really tackled uh, Bogosian's definitions of faith, and uh, they got into conversations of epistemology. You can Google that conversation. It's still out there online, and you can listen to it. And, and Tim was very professional about it. I did Google it. Want to listen to a clip? Yeah. Absolutely. Theists love also, stay tuned discussion, to by the way. This, this, this interview comes up um, again and again over the years, has come up again and again over the years, um, maybe because we well I, yeah maybe we just let the clip speak for itself but take take note of the date on this too by the way took 2014 it's been around for this a while was like one year <laughs> after the first book came out um yeah. and yeah. since then there's been a different book <laughs> that's much better <laughs> and the whole SE community keeps talking about how the new book is better it doesn't matter it's like the old testament they're talking about our old uh old book, The Manual for Creating Atheists, which was really just a way to like get people's attention. Um, I think, the thing I remember title. about this interview too is that they spent almost the whole first half of the interview talking about faith, didn't they? I don't, I don't know almost the whole thing is about faith. The whole thing's about faith? Okay. Yeah. yeah. I had a look at it and I really don't, I just, I really feel that's an inaccurate description saying that it's an erroneous definition of faith, but have a quick listen to it and then I'll you know, share my thoughts on it. Yeah, it's like okay. a minute, maybe two minutes here. Okay. Make sure this is working. Oh, it's one of those. They mean that there is one is assigning a confidence value higher than what's warranted by the evidence. And so not only is that a common way that 
people use the word. And I have to say, either you're extraordinarily isolated from that, because that absolutely positively does not ring from my experience of having done this every single day with thousands of leaders. But again, you know, we'll let the, the listeners decide. And I also want to say that that's also how prominent Christians use the word, too. Okay, so let me address that. You're saying now that people are using the word to mean assigning a confidence that is higher than the, the evidence warrants. And by the evidence, I presume you mean the publicly available evidence. But that is not the same thing as belief without evidence, is it? I mean, in the one case, there's no okay, evidence on the table. Yeah. On the other, there's a room for there to be some evidence. And then the question okay, is, is your confidence higher than is warranted by that evidence? So there is a <laughs> distinction there, isn't there? Yeah, there is. That, that is absolutely positively a distinction. So, and we can look at that phrase both ways using both the confidence value that's been assigned to belief higher than is warranted by the evidence, the, the clunky phrase, or we can look at that phrase of how people actually use you have faith in evolution. You don't have evidence for your belief in evolution, but, and I talk about faith in the book as just believing anyway, but you just believe in evolution anyway. But that's how people use the word. That's what they mean by the word. Yeah, I mean, so when you ask them, when you ask them, or have you asked them, do you mean that I have no evidence for my belief in evolution? If you ask them that, have you done so? And if you have, what have they said in response? That's, this is interesting to me. I would like to know yeah, if you've asked them that question. Yeah, I've asked them that question. I've asked people variations of that question with confidence, with hope, with trust. There is no one standard Christian answer to that. There's no one response that one gets. Christianity isn't this monolithic thing this monolithic religion in which there's only one answer to a question. But I can give you a, a, a range of answers, and then I'd actually like to, to talk about how faith leaders use the word, and it's exactly how they use the word. Uh, okay, given that you also have this definition of faith as pretending to know things you don't know, um, I mean, I think I think some believers and Christians maybe feel that, that that's a bit of a low blow at some, some level, Peter, that, that you're kind of essentially saying... Um, Christianity is is basically founded on lying, essentially. Um, I mean, that that might be the impression that someone comes away yeah. with. Let's say, is is, is that okay. what you're trying to so, say? So, I'm happy to talk about that, but can, can we just talk about this definition more? Because I think that this is, I think, and I, I certainly won't. I don't have to worry with him putting. Yeah, and then they go on about more about the belief without evidence usage. Mm. which is the primary usage I hear out in the real world of believing something without evidence. Yeah. That's yeah. common for me to hear people when you ask, well, why do you think that that's true? Why do you think God is real? For example, they say, I have faith that it's true. When I ask them to define the word 30% of the time, roughly, they say, believing in something without any evidence, belief mm. without evidence. That's usually the answer that I get. Now, Tim's suggestion is you should reply with, you have no evidence, which is a great SE question. So let's not skip over that. Like his recommendation, if you encounter somebody who says faith is belief without evidence, that's a really good follow-up because that puts it in a very stark term. You're repeating it back. And I wonder if you'd get a different answer in return. I bet half of that 30%, half of those people would say, well, I do have evidence, but it's a special kind of evidence or something like that. You'd, you'd probably get some sort of reaction acknowledging that they do have something to support it. 
And what's weird is later on, uh, Daniel is um, talking about uh, empiricism and and knowing things empirically, and then he's he's um, he has seems to, and maybe I'm misunderstanding him, having an objection to uh, to a conversation that's entirely focused on how we can know things empirically, and if we can't know things empirically, how are we really knowing it? Um, and like, how does he square these two things? Yeah, this, that's, that's, that's a good point. This empiricism yeah. complaint mm -hmm. that he's got over here, and then he's saying this about faith over there. Mm -hmm. I'm a little, I'm a little lost. Um, maybe we'll get more into that. We'll probably get to that. Come across that part. There's, yeah. There's something else in that interview. I think it, after it, um, Tim disagrees and, and Peter actually asks him well, what's your definition of faith and how many people do you see using this definition um, that's a primary definition in the book and and I think Tim says that he feels that less than one percent of people would use faith in that sense based on his circle of experience right mm -hmm. um, and, it, and he says that it's puzzling to him that dictionaries haven't picked up on that usage of faith implying that if it's not in the dictionary then it's not a common usage and when he's asked what his definition of faith is, he says, trusting, holding to, and acting on what one has good reason to believe is true in the face of difficulties. Fair enough, one definition of faith. I've never heard anyone express that definition of faith, but when I go to do a, a Google search of dictionary definitions, I've, I haven't seen, it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist in any dictionaries, I haven't seen Tim's definition of faith in any dictionaries, but funny enough, if you do a Google search of faith, the very first dictionary definition that, that comes up is one, complete trust or confidence in something or someone, and two, strong belief in the doctrines of a religion based on spiritual conviction rather than proof. Uh, so the very first search reveals a definition that's really consistent with what Peter was defining back in that book. So to say that he's using an erroneous definition of faith in the book, I don't feel is an accurate characterization. Yeah, I'd say the um, second most common reason I would hear is trust. But when you yeah. delve into what do they mean by trust, the, the, then you get into more of the evidence or lack of. It, it, you get closer to that definition the more you yeah. go into the trust explanation. Trust seems like it's a more accurate definition. But here's my question to – well, and let me just put – theists or apologists seem to have a wildly different definition of faith than the average average everyday believer for one thing. And here's my question to the apologist. And I've, I've asked this before is what would, would your advice be for somebody who asks why you think that this is true and they reply faith and we ask for their definition. And it's a definition that you don't think is accurate. Do you want us to be correcting them and say, well, Tim McGrew says this, Great why aren't you point. using Tim's definition of faith <laughs> or Peter's for that matter? It's the, it's the definition of our conversation partner that matters, right? Yeah. And, and it's always changing. Yeah. And it, it's it, like it different changes. every time. Well, it'll, I had one conversation with a lady and she used five different definitions of faith through the, through the course of a 30-minute discussion. In one talk, right? Yeah. yeah. It's, so, it's so nebulous. Yeah. It really is like a redundant word. I mean, people can use it as trust, as confidence, as hope. Yeah. And so right. it's a moot point at the end of the day. You just go with their definition. So, Yeah. I'm However, sure like the whole pretending thing, I, I don't think that you're i don't think people are pretending to what is it pretending to know something that you don't know although once i asked somebody do you define faith as pretending to know something you don't know and they agreed to it now i don't know if they really were on board with it or not or they were just complying or whatever but it's a well, wild I, definition yeah. 
I've had someone say to me, what? I've had someone say to me, it's not evidence, Michael. You just have to have a leap of faith. You know, yes. So I have had those responses. They literally right. make the distinction yeah. between good yeah. supporting evidence and faith. So what are we yeah. to do with that is my question. And, you know, and having trust in people is a good thing. And that's what's happening. Like a lot of virtue signaling here is like, what, you don't trust me? Like, you know, it's like, it's a good thing to be trusting of people, right? <laughs> Oftentimes. Yeah. Um, but, but what you said, Anthony, is really important. We're going with the definition of the conversation partner we're talking to. Uh, we want to use that definition. It, right. Uh, we'll forget everything we know about what that word means when we go in to talk to people. And again, this interview was with Peter Bergosian in 2014, after you know, well before a lot of things were flushed out in SE. But we really are careful, very careful. I'm very careful about using the definition my conversation partner uses. Yeah, and the yes. not only the definition, but the meaning of it. Are they meaning it as a reason? Are they meaning it as a method? We can't just assume that it's the method that they're using. We can't assume that faith is their epistemology. It could be really tempting right. to do that because we see the liability of faith. So it's like we hear faith and we think, oh, that's what they're using to be so sure. But you need to confirm that that's the case with questions. And that's why when we're practicing SE, I think most of us in this room, when we hear that word, faith, at least from my standpoint, I stop everything right there and I have to get that clear, that definition before I move forward. Because we, if I, in my earlier SC experiences, I wouldn't get that definition and it become very apparent that we were talking about very different things. And, and so that's why we do that. Yeah. Faith is up there with it's true for me. If you hear either of those two things, Stop your conversation oh. and focus on it and get it all written down. Yeah, true for me is a triggering phrase. <laughs> I get really riled up when I hear that. Yeah. Um, and I think Peter's origination of the phrase, pretend to know what you don't know, comes from the Socrates quote. So that he's a you know, he's a big fan of mm. all of the all of that. So that's where that comes from. So it, it's 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 Peter's critique of faith as an epistemology, as Socrates right. would critique it. All right, want to keep going? Yeah. Yep. All right, share audio. Should we skip to the next section or keep hearing from Daniel about this faith definition? What time are we at? Oh, yeah, we spent more time on McGrew and Bogosian than we did Daniel. That's all right. Maybe. He mentioned it, and I thought it was important to bring that up since he mentioned it and then didn't play anything. I felt like it was good that we did. Okay. Um, Let's jump to the next one then, maybe. 848. All right. Sort of want to distance themselves from that sort of vitriolic language. But it must be said that in 2013, Peter Bogosian thought faith uh, was uh, a disease or a disorder that should be in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual uh, uh, for Psychological psych Psychiatric Disorders. He thinks that's, that's how low he thought of faith. Um, and so this has actually been a, a debate in um, in psychology circles about how to discuss this sort of thing uh, because there's um, the cultural aspects of a group belief and then there's individual beliefs and the DSM does not define uh, anything like this as a disorder but it does the closest it does is it defines something as a delusion and that is a false belief based on incorrect on an incorrect inference about external reality 
that is firmly sustained despite what almost everybody else believes and despite what constitutes incontrovertible and obvious proof or evidence to the contrary. The belief is not one ordinarily accepted by other members of the person's culture or subculture, e.g. it's not an article or religious faith. And that's the current, that's the closest the DSM comes to talking about that sort of thing. Mm. Mm. So the DSM is saying, because it's so widespread and such a huge thing out there in the culture, you know, it's so common, we can't really define it as a delusion because delusion is like usually a fringe thing that vir virtually no one believes. Yeah. If it's so, if we it's allow it because based. lots of people believe it at the moment. <laughs> so, in China, like, is there a do they have a specific DSM over there? And I wonder how they treat faith. Be interesting being largely atheist and not theist. It could be argued, I guess, from the religious side about how many, how much evidence they have to support their faith. Their faith. Right. And, and if their I hear religion? that during an interview, <clears throat> then I want to go through the evidence. If they think the evidence is the thing that's supporting their belief, I want to know precisely how much that evidence accompanies on their pie chart and whether or not if they could do without it, would their number stay where it is or would their number slide down? If it slides down, that's probably really the reason, and I want to dig into that. If it yeah, doesn't slide that, down, that's a different problem. <laughs> this reminds me of Tim Grew's response to somebody, right? If somebody says, uh, faith is belief without evidence, he suggests replying with, are you saying that you have no evidence? That's mm -hmm. a really good question. That susses it out. They may mm -hmm. say, that's right. I don't need evidence. I take it on faith. Faith is all I need. How many times have we heard that? Literally from people, lots. <laughs> right. But I they may say I have evidence uh, for it. The, I think the most accurate definition for faith in the way that people use it in conversation. Now, again, I'm, not, I'm never imposing my definition or I'm doing my best not to, though untestable trust, I think is a great way to put it. Yeah, uh, but we should we probably should gloss over trust something. The, the the whole DSM thing though. Can we address that real quick? Because there was a comment under that video that caught my attention. Did you guys see the screenshot of it? Mm -hmm. Someone said, uh, "Every time I hear, let's see here. Every time I heard theism should be in the DSM in the SE community, it has been challenged vigorously. It's also not a popular opinion in the new atheist movement." And uh, looks like Daniel replied with. The very place it needs to be challenged is on the SE website where the book, a manual for creating atheists, I assume, is listed as a resource, some kind of disclaimer to make it clear that they distance themselves from Boghossian's idea. Do you have a link or reference, for example, of someone influential in the SE community speaking out against it? I will be delighted to incorporate it into my ongoing future engagements. So what are your thoughts on that? Do we need to take hard stances on something that we disagree with? with Peter or myself or Reed or Mark or Ram or like, is there an obligation to, you know, to address these things? Is, is this, is this DSM stance that Peter had? I don't know if he still has it even be interesting to ask him. Um, what do you think? Do we need to have disclaimers on the website addressing these things? I think it would be nice to at least discuss it and to, to, to discuss whether we agree with everything that Peter said in this his, his first book, and if we don't agree with everything 
what we disagree with specifically. I think it would be mm. fair to discuss it. I would imagine we would have more disagreement with a manual for creating atheists. Well, maybe it'd be 50-50. There's probably 50% of the things in there. Wow, maybe that's even high. I don't know. It could be interesting to do a book review of sorts, maybe. Um, there, there is a section uh, from James Lindsay's book, Everybody's Wrong About God, talking about God and delusion and faith. And if James is the co-author of How to Have Impossible Conversations, NSC uses that as an authority, then we already have this covered in this book, um, already on the SC website and the list of books. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a, actually a valid concern by Daniel, where he's saying that, on the one hand, some mystery epistemologists say they don't agree with Peter Bogosian's first book, but on the other hand, on the official site, you can find information that we don't agree with it or we don't subscribe to it anymore, and there are no specifics about it. So maybe we should think about that. I don't think there's a Pope of SE, <laughs> you know, yeah, the, yeah, or a Bible for SE. It's SE just that. The nutshell is ask somebody how it is they know what they know. Yeah. That's really it. That's yeah. like the 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 basic core of it. And then yeah. layered on top of that, there's other things like uh, being open to what you're hearing, you know, and, uh, you know, and then we just layer on top of that different techniques for dissecting and bringing clarity to other people's views. Um, and we like to do that. <laughs> so. that's, a good, that's a good point. And, and whether something should be in, on the website or not on the website, we, that's something we would SE. That's something we would talk to each other about, and ask yeah. questions about each other in that manner to find out. That's, that, that's, <laughs> that's a good point. point. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's be a little bit charitable that when you encounter a website that has books on it, that it's not necessarily an indication that the people behind the website agree with every single thing in the book unless stated otherwise. Let's be a little bit mature and responsible with what we stumble across on the internet would be is sort of my sentiment. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm ready to keep going through the video. But in saying Let that, I think the underlying idea that you brought up, Sante, uh, is, is, is the street epistemologists will generally look at themselves as interventionists. Uh, this book, that term actually gets used more in this book, interventionist. Uh, street epistemologist doesn't get really used in this book as much as it does in, in this book. But the idea of interventionist is emphasized in this book. And, you know, you get the general impression. I mean, there's, there's specific examples on page 80 where they're talking about hostage negotiation. And uh, you, if you pick up this book and practice it, there are different levels that they, they walk you through. But at the end of the book, you, if you get this and you go out and practice it, you are perceived as um, um, an, an, inter an interventionist, someone who has this superior epistemology and you're gonna help me out of uh, my what you perceive to be my 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 foolish belief, faith, faith belief without evidence, or uh, believing in things I'm just so right there. In things that I know aren't true. I yeah. would I would disagree with that. Uh, I wish. Oh man, if you've been following our streams in the past, you know we'd have a popsicle stick, and uh, and, and Dolly would oh, yeah. be helping us mark the shout agree out to and Dolly. disagree with the popsicle. Shout out yeah. to Dolly. Shout out to Dolly for sure. We miss you, buddy. Yeah. 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 
This is one in which I would mark disagree on the popsicle stick. Um, I'm not here to talk anyone out of anything. I'm here to bring myself along for the ride as to how they got to where they are. And if you, I mean, check out my channel just two videos ago. We just, I sat down and talked with somebody. We talked about all sorts of stuff and nothing in particular. It was just, <laughs> it was just an abstract discussion about how our, pro our process for how we form our beliefs and how we think about that process, how important that process is to us, um, whether or not that process to conclude things needs tweaking or um, whether or not we're using a process for certain things differently than we are for other things. And why would that be? Um, that's the kind of conversation I like to have. And if somebody says, hey, I got belief X and we, we can dig through that, I'd be happy to do that. Though I'm not here to talk anyone out of it, though what I am interested in is what would change your mind about it? Not Which is, which is a, hopefully a fair question. I'm wanting to know if they have standards to move themselves in their belief. And if they don't have standards to move their own belief, like what would they think if I took the opposite position on that same belief <laughs> and didn't have standards to move to the other side? W could there be conflicts or, you know, political disagreements? Um, it, or is that a good way to figure out what's true? That might be another good question. Um, and how important is the truth to us? These are the kinds of conversations I want to have. And I don't think it necessarily needs to be about any one particular belief. It's about everything. It's about how we look at the world. Yeah, it's really an effective way to have cordial civil conversations about beliefs so we can just check if our confidence levels are justified. No one's teaching anyone anything about truth. It's about how do we know that we're justified in our confidence levels? Let's explore that. Um, and it's actually a conversation, yeah. unlike other conversations, where you can actually, if you're practicing good SC, you can often steel man somebody, meaning you could take what they're saying and try to make what they're saying even better than the way they're saying it to make it more cogent. Right. And I'm not sure of other conversations that are held that that happens. Yeah, and not only not only are we steel manning in this way, we we are we are judging ourselves based off of how well they agree with what we just said yeah. in response. Yeah. Like if I repeat something back that I think I'm hearing, I own my own understanding of what I just heard by saying, I'm hearing you say, I'm not putting it on them, I'm putting it on me. I'm hearing you say, and then if they agree. Great, now we can move on. If they disagree, I need to work better to make sure that they agree we're on the same page. Uh, that's a huge part of SE, um, mm. big, big part. And so, yeah, if, you're, if you had your popsicle stick and you said you disagree with um, Daniel there, I may put my popsicle stick as agree, potentially a little bit. For, wh for which one? Yeah, for what's the, the claim? Because I thought we were talking about interventions. Yeah, intervening, proselytizing, trying oh. to change minds, ah. trying to convert. Okay. Hold on, though. His definition of interventionist, unless I missed it, is someone who thinks they have a superior epistemology. Yeah, that could apply as well. We had to listen to what Reed's going to say about proselytization, I think. Yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt that, but yeah, go for it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
I mean, my whole, I, we, Ram and Mark and I are writing module two of why to do SE. And originally we had a, you know, the learning objectives is like goals related to you personally, goals related to your interlocutor or for your interlocutor, and then goals related to society. And then a fourth mm -hmm. learning objective about, you know, common misuses of SE. And one of the topics we put under there originally was proselytization or like advancing a narrative. And after talking about it um, in, in relation to another topic in, you know, in the, in the section about goals related to your interlocutor, really there is a goal sometimes for some SE people, sometimes for having the additional goal of wanting to change their minds because you think you know better, um, because you think you have something to move them towards, towards the truth, towards a better epistemology. Um, that could be an additional goal of not merely trying to understand, not merely trying to neutrally evaluate their epistemology, but to actually try to move them, try to challenge them, try to potentially proselytize. Um, we'd explain more about that uh, more, but, and this video from Pendulette is kind of my motivation for thinking that's not only not wrong, it's kind of actually moral. So I want to no watch more. this clip, clip real quick. Mm. Here we go. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate mm. somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. Yeah, Ooh, yeah. I can see a lot of good examples, like the whole thing about COVID at the moment. If um, if you had a friend or a close family member that said it's my personal choice to go out drink driving every night, you know, would you let that slide? So mm. you know, definitely see those exceptions. Right. Though the technique, I think, and I hear what you're saying, Reed, and also um, Michael. That was a good point there about the drunk driving. And I'm sure there, there are certain fundamental things that just seem so true to us, like trunk driving and how that that's extremely dangerous. Um, though at, at the core, the technique in my dialectic, like behind my method is like, I'm going to the reason why I disbelieve or the reason why I can't get over there and making that into a question so I can get over there. And so the, the gap between us narrows um, and I'm attempting to be sincere uh, with my questions in such a way that it would draw me over even to something so absurd as drunk driving. Otherwise, if, if I'm not sincere with my questions, I'm not sure. Um, I'm not really sure what it is that I'm doing necessarily. Now, maybe I do, am just trying to 
drag this person over to my side. Though I do like to think of it more as I'm trying to model an open mind here and I would very much uh, like you to be open-minded too. And so I'm gonna put the first, my best foot forward and, and be open to what it is that you're saying. Uh, though I'm gonna bring my passion with me into it, right? I am a biased person and I have my own beliefs and I'm not gonna just put them all to the side for the sake of this talk. Like, if you wanna know what I think about it, I wanna invite you to ask me questions about it so it's a back and forth. Um, and so hmm. yeah, those are my yeah. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Well, okay. Uh, you go ahead. Ron. Okay, I'll start. Okay. So yeah, yeah, we, we do want to engage in, in collaborative critical thinking. That's what we do anyway. So the method stays. At the same time, I also don't see any problem with having a goal of persuading your interlocutor sometimes because why why wouldn't you? As, as Pangelette put it so nicely, it's, it is important for us what other people believe. And if, for example, I think that faith in this specific context is not uh, the most reliable method you could use, the most reliable uh, basis of, of your belief, then I might want to show you that as well, besides other things. So yeah, I, I, don't, I don't see anything wrong with that. Also, maybe it would be even weird if I wouldn't want it. But of course, I. I Fundamentally, I want to be open myself and I want to stay uh, to, to critically think about my own beliefs, first of all, and to do it with our interlocutor's beliefs as well. I'm reminded of the LDS guys that walked through the campus that time. Like they are walking through the campus trying to tell people that they have the truth and that they have a superior methodology for determining that the Book of Mormon is true. Now, I'm suspicious of their method. I don't necessarily think my method is superior because I haven't discovered their method yet. Right. Um, and I think I even told them like, if, if this is true, I'll be out here with you proselytizing for this. Like what you're doing is noble. If, if, if this is true, however, when I started that conversation, I had no idea what their methodology was for determining that the book of Mormon is true. So I didn't start with the idea that my epistemology was superior to theirs because I wasn't aware of their epistemology yet. Now, at some point I became aware of it and it became evident to me that my, the, the, the method that I use to conclude that something is true seems a heck of a lot better than reading it in a book that says, um, what is it exactly? If you ask for, or I, I forget exactly what the wording is. I have it in this little book that I put together. Um, but if, if it, uh, if you get this feeling, if you if you pray sincerely and you get this feeling, that is the confirmation that this book is true. I don't think that's a very reliable or robust method. Um, but I didn't approach that conversation thinking that I'm superior in any way. And it seemed like Daniel was lumping that in order to be an interventionist, you have to start the conversation thinking you've got it all figured out and all these poor people are wrong. And it can be tempting to slip into that mindset, but you have to try to be open to what they're saying that it could be true. And they actually do have a really good method for concluding it. Yeah, always be open to being wrong. If you have that, even if you're trying to potentially persuade, you could change your mind going through that, you know, the SE is a really great process for evaluating claims and methodologies. Right. So, yeah. So, yeah. Here's my question. Can somebody not have a goal 
and not think that they have a superior epistemology and still be an interventionist? Can you still be intervening in somebody's belief tower and intervening? Like we're, we're just, we're respectfully inquiring why you think that this is true. Like interventionist seems so strong and powerful for what we're doing. Yeah. Isn't everything an intervention? Everything affects everything. Yeah. How do you yeah. define it? I'd, I'd want some more what clarity. Is manipulation? Whatever. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. It, and All now right. that we've put this word proselytization out there, I think we should just clarify a little bit that um, often with proselytization comes, <clears throat> and tell me what you think, Reed and Ram, because we recently talked about this, is dogmatism. And those should be separated out a bit uh, just because mm -hmm. they're often conflated, I think. Uh, Reed, would you? Yeah, it's possible to be a non-dogmatic proselytizer. You could value something. You could say, this is really an important thing that people should know about, but I'm, I still could be wrong about it. Can, yeah. I, can I attempt to talk to you about it? Yeah. Uh, freedom of speech, for example. I proselytize freedom of speech. Yeah. That could be I wrong. feel like that's what kind of, what doing actual street epistemology on the street kind of is. It's like the opposite of street preaching. It's like the exact opposite of street preaching. You're asking instead you're of me telling. telling you, I'm out there saying, "Tell me, tell yeah. me, <laughs> tell me what you think." Yeah. Uh, I want to explore that with you, and by the end, maybe you'll be so impressed by my ability to understand what it is that you're saying and get you and and encouraging us to both think about your idea in a deep way that you don't get a chance to do very often. Maybe that'll encourage you to try this out with your friends and family, or maybe even one day, dare I say go out on the street and do this in public, which by the way, if you're <laughs> considering <the> doing <laughs> that, I really recommend you do it, especially to Daniel Ray, but really anybody watching highly recommend, just try it out. Just go for it. Just be jump safe, right in. Just be safe. Wear a mask safe. or something. Get vaccinated. Be, be in a public area. Please. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, yeah. All right. It's a lot of fun. All right. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Next section. So when they ask you the questions, What's in the back of their mind is this idea that you used some kind of method to test whether or not your belief in God was true. And so they have this, they have this under, underlying philosophical assumption that, that, that knowledge comes about through testing empirical, through empirical means. And, and so at the foundation, really briefly, to go on a little philosophical excursus, what, what a lot of them are really doing is a, a kind of form of logical positivism or verificationism that was popular in the 1920s and 30s in the in the 20th century and and it was a philosophy of knowledge that said if you can't empirically verify it, I'm being very short for the sake of time here if you can't empirically verify a truth claim then it's not a truth claim then it's not counted as real knowledge and the the, the Vienna school and those philosophers and mathematicians that were involved in that didn't like the idea that religious knowledge had any legitimacy whatsoever. So they tried to devise an epistemology that could do away with religious language and religious claims and religious knowledge. And so they came up with this idea that, that we should empirically test all truth claims. And if a truth claim can't be empirically tested, we should discard it. Um, but of course, the philosophy itself didn't last very long because the the very idea- Uh-oh, the audio cut out. The no, that's good. Okay. Maybe for you truth claims in order for them to be valid is not a claim that you can make. Uh, it's not uh, a claim that maybe. you can test empirically. You can't test the underlying foundation of 
logical positivism. And so to give you a street epistemology example, uh, many of them, to their credit, will will say, that, yes, I, I agree that there's the truth is not relative, that there's objective truths. A popular, um, a popular example that a street epistemologist might use in a conversation with you is to say, flip a quarter, it's, it lands on my hand, and they'll ask you, so is it heads or tails? And your hand's covering it, and so they say, well, you know, we don't know. And, right, you get the theist to say, well, I don't know. How would we know? Well, the, the, the guy would have to remove his hand so that you could see the quarter. And so they use this as, a, it, it mixes metaphysical and theological knowledge with empirical knowledge. They think that testing to see if God is real is in the same sort of philosophical category as lifting my hand to see if the quarter is heads or tails. Yeah, there's so much to talk about already. Yeah, yeah. We go for an hour on this. Where do we start? I'm itching to start with something. Okay. Nobody I know thinks... Um, in terms of logical positivism like that. It's more fallibilism. It's like, if you're going to make universal statements about reality and claim 100% certainty about something, then you're just going to have to show how you're getting around this problem of induction um, and the problem of personal barriers, right? Bias, heuristics, personal incompetence, self-deception, post-hoc rationalization. So we're just interested. If you've got better methods than empirical methods like falsifiability for exploring how you justify your confidence, then show us but you're going to have to show us that the checks that you're doing get around these problems of fallibilism. Like, you know, how do they get around personal barriers like bias? If the method you're using to justify your confidence is internal, if you're not checking outside of your own head, then show me a better way that gets over these fallible aspects of the ways that we derive our knowledge. So no one's saying that, you know, your knowledge is not true. It's not making a claim about truth in that sense. It's all about justification. And to me, it's like repeatable checks, impersonal checks. If you've got something better, show me. But no one's saying that, you know, empiricism is the only pathway to truth. But I can understand why sometimes that perception's out there because most of the checks, well, the best checks that I've seen that are repeatable and impersonal are actually empirical checks, like novel testable prediction, um, falsifiability, you know, we're asking questions. What would lower your confidence? What could you learn that would lower your confidence? Because the more impersonal they are, the more reliable they seem to be. But but anyway, we can talk for hours about that. Yeah, I, will start. I can hear well Daniel said, right now goodness. say, like, metaphysical. You're ignoring the metaphysical. I can well, hear we got to get to that, too. we got to get to that, too. We're not yeah. ignoring the metaphysical because not saying that your metaphysical belief is not true. Just demonstrate to me how you overcome the, the impersonal problems, those personal barriers. Well, he mentions me. metaphysical and theological knowledge, that there's some other kind of way of coming to know stuff that's metaphysical. Um, and this is probably a good time to make a distinction. Like when we're doing SE, we're exploring the reasons and the methods that you're using to be confident that what you think is true is really true. It's not an indication of whether the thing is true or not. So yeah. we're not assessing the truth of the claim. We're assessing yeah. the confidence that you have in the truth of the claim. Yeah. Much different animal. Yeah. And I think we, we should explain why is that. It's because truth and knowledge are just so uh, elusive as concepts. They are fundamentally difficult to even define. The, the whole thing, which is called epistemology, is, is a branch of philosophy which studies knowledge, what we call knowledge, what we should call knowledge, how we know, how we know stuff, and there are no clear answers there. And 
I think there can no cannot be clear answers because it's just fundamentally uh, about words. So instead, yeah. we can think about how how should we uh, process uh, the information? What should we do about it? It doesn't matter if we think we know the truth, the ultimate truth. Maybe it doesn't exist, or maybe it's just words. So, so what yeah. we do in this life, what, how we process information, is what's important. What methods we're using. So I, I don't care so much whether you call it knowledge or not, but when you say, for example, metaphysical knowledge or anything else, I just want to understand how you come to this knowledge and whether yeah. it's a reliable way to come to it. <laughs> I've never had anyone on the street mention metaphysical knowledge in the eight years that I've been interviewing 2,000 people. It's never come up. It's not to say it's a thing. I've never heard it before. And I'm curious, yeah. can I use metaphysical knowledge to tell whether the coin is heads or tails? Can I use metaphysical knowledge or met metaphysical approach to determining if the total number of pieces is even or odd? Can I use metaph is metaphysical knowledge only useful for determining that gods exist? Is it just for a specific God? Can I use it for a Hindu God? Can I use it for the, uh, the Muslim God? What are the, what are the limitations of this interesting, amazing, you know, knowledge thing that you've just surfaced here? I would want to totally unpack that. Have you get? Can did you get into metaphysical? Did you get into that with your discussions with Daniel at all? Metaphysical uh, knowledge well, and theological knowledge. We we didn't get into it though. Uh, for anybody, everybody watching here, I interviewed Daniel Ray. There's three videos up right now, um, and there should be two more. Uh, we we met on two different dates. The first three were uh, the first three videos was two hours on our first day. And then there's two hours and 40 minutes for the second day, and that's yet to be released. Um, though, what was what was Daniel's objection to the coin flip? Okay, that's he, good. We should we should be able to repeat back what we think his argument was. You, right. Are you prepared to do that? Are you doing that now? <laughs> well, he he's basically saying that there's an issue there, but I don't recall hearing what the issue was. He's saying I'm, you shouldn't be comparing this. And right. I want to know right. why. I'm going to assume, right. assume there are other methods out there that you don't only need empirical methods as a pathway to truth. So in relation yeah. to yes. metaphysical, there are other methods as a pathway to truth. And that may be true, but um, we are fallible as human beings. So, you know, and street epistemology doesn't really teach an epistemology. We're looking. So if you can give us a better pathway to justify our confidence, then show us. But at the end of the day, how are you overcoming these aspects of fallibilism? That's what I—that's that's what drives me with curiosity. So I'm just going to assume that because I don't think he actually said it. But I want to know how Daniel would interview somebody believing in believing that they sincerely believe that they were reincarnated. And I know he's met these people before because I've in the next talk well, I'll release on my channel. We talk about all the different countries he's been to and he's been to like Egypt and a bunch of places around the world. He just so needs I'm to go sure to LA. He's met people. <laughs> he like, just needs to go to Los Angeles some, for that. Right. A whole bunch of people. Yeah, yeah, right. You don't have to go far. Somebody says like, I've had a past life and it like, do you believe them? Where are you on the confidence scale about their claim? If they're, do you think they're telling the truth? If they're not telling the truth, why are they thinking this? And if they say, well, they've got metaphysical evidence, like, what do you say to that? How do you look into that belief? Or how do you investigate that belief? Or is there just going to be a gap of understanding between you forever? 
Is that the way things are going to be? Yeah. There are, there are lots of checks that can be done. Are they impersonal? Can they be checked by anyone? Can they, are they repeatable? And if the answer is no to all of those things, then I guess we just have to leave you with your belief. You know, I can't have the same confidence unless it can be demonstrated reliably. Mm. It seemed like Daniel was saying that we're saying that if you can't test something, it should be discarded. Discarded? Yes. Mm. I like, think he's I, saying that... Uh, yeah, go ahead, Anthony. Well, I was, okay. I think in SE, we, we're all about... We're interested in the person's certainty or level of confidence on a gradient from 0 to 100. This is not a binary yes-no, right? Uh, that's a whole other issue. We're not saying that you need to discard something if you realize you can't test it. We're asking you to evaluate if your if your level of confidence that you've assigned to the truth of the claim is justified yeah. if you can't test it. I'm not asking you to discard it, but yeah. reconsider the weight that you're putting on the truth of it. It may still yeah. be true even though you can't test it. Yeah. But if you can't test it, should you really be 100% sure that it's true or 90 or 80? Yeah, and show us why. Show us why. Show us how you can be show, so sure that you're not influenced by self-deception or rationalization. How would you ever know? How would you ever know? So, And then, then here's the kicker. Can somebody use the same method that you're using to tell that your God is real using some metaphysical, whether it's evidence or method or some, he, he said method, uh, what was it? Knowledge. Um, what was the exact word? Uh, metaphysical and theological knowledge. So we, we kind of need to understand exactly what he means by it. Is he talking about evidence? Is this a method? Are these reasons? Is it something else completely? That's that's all we're asking. And the kicker is, can somebody use that exact same approach that he's using, this metaphysical stuff, to conclude that gods that aren't real are true? And if they can, that has implications for the method that he's using to conclude that his god is real. Yep. This this is straightforward shit. Like there's, there's not, I, I don't know why this is getting so complicated. Yeah. I think we just described SE in the last five minutes, about as clearly as we can. I think mm. it's not a sleight of hand. We're just mm. trying to find out what you know and how you know it. And the right. beauty is it's always evolving. If someone shows us a better way, then we adapt. Well, and to Nathan's challenge, like show us yeah. how to yeah. do this better. Like show us how yeah. to do SE. Where it, would, it would reveal clearly that what you think is true is true because all that we're seeing, at least that I'm seeing, is obscurantism and deflection and defensiveness. And that does not bode well for, as I see it, like the, the, the truth of your claim or the manner with which you're going about this. The resistance that I see to what we're doing, it, it surprises me. It shocks me. It shocks me and it saddens me. It really yeah. does. And I, I think it belays the realization that you don't have a good reason for thinking that this is true. And you've created this other stuff to just deflect. Mm. And But uh, that being said, dude, I'm open to exploring that. I want to understand what you mean by, by what I keep forgetting the word. I'm so sorry. Metaphysical, um, metaphysical and theological knowledge. <laughs> like, how is that superior in, in some way? Is it necessary? Do you have to have that in order to think that your God is real? Am I going off on a tangent? I'm sorry. No, no, no. It's right. good. No, I just, I'm just laughing because I'm imagining Daniel Ray rewatching this. Which, by the way, <laughs> Daniel, Daniel calls me a friend in the video. Like later on, I, I 
right back at you, buddy. Dude, you like, did so good. I think so he's a good. great guy. No, you, yeah. you were a great so guy. sincere, authentic. So you were the polite. best person. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't think that I would Thank have you. the patience, honestly. And I'm a pretty patient yeah. dude. Like, you could see it come yeah. through my videos, hopefully. For the audience who hasn't seen be. the second part, uh, the, Anthony has seen the second part. So just wait. Yeah. I, I, I definitely uh, separate separate the things I disagree with from the person. Like I, I find Daniel very right. charismatic in a way. Like I, I warm to him. I like him. Um, I'd hang out with the dude and have a beer with him if it yeah, weren't for the fact yeah, that we'd probably yeah. be talking about theological stuff the entire time. And I'd be like, oh, no. <laughs> but like if we didn't, I'd be like, let's go bowling or whatever. You know, it's not like a nice guy. It's not personal. This is really, it's just, yeah. it's absolutely not personal. It's just a, about our ideas. And I yeah. seem, I get along with him so much better than I would like, uh, you know, the Darth Dawkins of the world, oh, something yeah. like that. And this yeah. is why I like to review no, his videos. He, Cause I feel he, like he, he's a great interlocutor. He really is. He, you know, yeah. he, he, uh, yeah, I don't want to focus too much on one person, but he was really <laughs> seemingly sincere and, you know, it was interesting his interactions with you all right and uh i'll wrap up sure. this by just giving a few select quotes from you know my favorite epistemology book kind of inquisitors um it relates to exactly what he's talking about with positivism and everything so we check and validate ideas in all kinds of ways that do not look like experimental science in fact most critical checking does not look like experimental science Unless truth be recognized as public, then there will be nothing to prevent each one of us from adopting an utterly futile belief of his own, which all the rest will disbelieve. One man's experience is nothing if it stands alone. If he sees what others cannot, we call it hallucination. Science is unique, not because it tests propositions experimentally, but because it tests them socially. The magic is not in the experiment, but in the repeating of it and the criticism of it. Knowledge then is often empirical, but it is always social. So the joke is on the positivists in real life. Crisp empirical ver verification is only a small part of what people in a science game do. I love that book. Yep. Big fan. So I want to keep it going. What's the next section we're doing? Taking we're away faith, not giving anything back. 29.15. All right. Yeah. Okay. Other than that, it's, 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 they're not really leading you in a direction of if they take away your faith, what do they give you? They don't give you anything. So it's just a, sort of a means to, to, to doubt, I think. Yeah, that's basically the point. Notice the different use of faith, by the way, if they take away your belief. So here I think he's using faith to mean belief, not mm. pre presenting you know something you don't know or belief without evidence. So and, yeah. There goes faith again, right? So yeah. right there, different usage. Yeah. Are we taking away people's faith and not giving them anything in return? I think it's uh, it's partially a valid point because uh, for some, for many people, re religious belief and maybe some other beliefs are in a lot of, in some sense social because they have friends, they have families. There is a community. There is a religious community, for example. And people, we people, people are social animals, and it is important for us to be in a society, in a community that that values us, that that accepts us. So if you just take that away and uh, you just uh, cut this connection between a person and their community, 
it might be very tough on the person. So, not to mention the psychological reasons someone might hold a belief as well, just personally. Right. Yeah. Right. This I didn't realize it at the time, but his concern about this seems to be in conflict with the later question that comes up in that chat, whether he's concerned about SE or afraid of SE. I can't exactly remember the wording of it. Um, is he is he worried? Is he concerned that these conversations that we're having with people could result in a loss of a person's belief, faith, and yeah. then the, this person would struggle? That's a concern of mine when I engage with people because mm -hmm. I can usually very quickly help a person discover that they don't have good reasons for thinking that it's true or they've used an unreliable method and their confidence up here is not justified and they should probably lower it. It has implications for the relationships that they have and the community that they're part of and that belief system that they're enmeshed in at the moment. Mm -hmm. uh, it's one of the reasons why I volunteer for recovering from religion because I want to see what happens on the flip side of that. Mm. You know, uh, I think it's a real possibility. Like, I think that this is a likely outcome of an engagement where you're using SE. I think people will end up having to face the question of, do I need to leave this community because I don't think that this is true or can I still stay in it? We have lots of communities that are formed around beliefs that aren't true. Just go to Comic-Con or Dragon Con or something or a Star Wars convention. You can still find community around beliefs that aren't true and, and things that are fiction and people love it and they get married and they name their kids Anakin, <laughs> you know? So, so there are alternatives out there. You, it's not the end of the world. If you realize that you can't back up your faith belief in my view. Yeah. I think people are more resilient than we think, but we also have built in checks. Like I'm starting to now at the beginning, um, before I get into it, say to people, look, as a result of this, your confidence may increase. Confidence may stay the same at the end of the conversation or it may decrease. Are you okay with that? And it yes. really is a choice for the individual, right? Who right. are we to tell them? Yeah. You know, who are and, we to tell them? And sometimes, like, I'm, I'm talking to a, a lady, she's a childhood friend's mom. It's going to be an amazing series. Nathan's already watched one of them, I think. Uh, and I, even though I, I said, like, here's a possibility, like, this could happen if we keep talking. And she's like, yeah, 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 I'm fine. It's cool. I, you know, it'd be, and I double checked, like, just so you know, I, I, I know this might sound far-fetched that this could happen, but I want you to be aware that that's a possibility. Perhaps, and of course, we're not going to get widespread agreement across the S community that, that we should be doing this, but this is something that I think that we should do. We should warn people of the possibility that you may lower your confidence in the truth of your claim, which has implications for the communities and the behaviors that you do and all the other stuff. Hmm. Well, we often yeah. ask the question, what would life be like in, in five years, hypothetically speaking, not saying this is true, if you discovered that this was not true, would you still be a good person? You know, what would yeah. the what kind of person be? would you become? Yeah, I yeah. think there's a whole what, section. What would those course. intervening five years look like for you? Would it be a really yeah. big struggle at first and then you'd eventually set, kind of settle down and normalize or yeah. would it just take two weeks? Is it two hours? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ask it, that question. So yeah, if it's so clear that someone's so identified and attached to a belief that there would be harm that would flow, I would just disengage and, um, as Dali says, go to deep empathy and then wish them well. Yeah, but um, it's yeah, I really think it's a choice for the individual as long as we ask those questions and raise those things. It's their choice. Yeah, and that actually kind of gets to the the, the proselytization thing too. So. 
you can literally say like, I want to ask you these questions that could result in this outcome. And if they're good with it, then you go for it. You proceed. All right. Yeah, this comment relates to what we've been talking about. We can just get to this real quick. No problem. Um, I, I prefer, I, I, I tell all the SE guys, I said, my style is, hey, if you're an atheist, you want to deconvert me, just tell me. <laughs> I just don't hide that under a rug. Um, I, I encourage my street epistemology friends to be outspoken and out there and just lay it on the table, um, what you believe, and have a two-way conversation instead of a one-way interrogation. Yeah, I'm not interested in deconverting anyone. Um, but I, I do feel this, though. If you're going to make public statements about something that, like this, a universal statement about reality, be prepared to be questioned on it because you're making the public statement. So people can have their own personal beliefs, but if they're raising it in front of me, I want to be able to ask questions about it because I want to know how they know. Um, how else would I discover it unless I ask questions? I'm more interested in the process than the belief. I want yeah. to know how someone got there. And mm -hmm. if someone's using a process that concludes something uh, that I don't believe is true, because I, I don't understand how one could conclude based off of the process that I'm using, I want to know how their process is different. We actually and try if not to think about the belief too much when we're practicing SE. It gets yeah. Exactly. Because the belief almost is like a distraction almost to their process. I'm interested mm -hmm. in how they figured it out. Um, and if someone's using a process which um, is unreliable, let's just say, and is, let's just say, leading to false conclusion conclusions, then could that process be used either beknownst to them or unbeknownst to them to conclude other things unrelated to that belief that are totally tangential to the belief that have to do with politics? which is much more going to be affecting me. So like what's odd about a lot of my talks is in, in my head, I'm wondering like if they figured, if they concluded this, like what else are they concluding outside of this unrelated to it? <laughs> uh, and it makes me curious about the whole, a whole host of different uh, subjects and issues. And I'm right now, we're talking about the process that Daniel's using to understand how we dig into other people's processes, a little meta, right? <laughs> and I'm so curious to see how Daniel is going to be open to hearing what other people say about all sorts of stuff about how reincarnation or, I mean, Muslim, like uh, Islam, the Bhagavad Gita, like, I'm curious to know why these things are illegitimate, if he thinks they're illegitimate. His main approach may be, or, or like a, the theistic approach is usually, let me tell you the good news, because I have the truth. I'm not even really interested in how you came to your conclusion, because I've got it all figured out. So if you're starting from that mindset, it might be hard to put yourself into the shoes of a kind inquisitor. Mm. And thus, maybe maybe why Daniel and, and the SE community are not necessarily seeing eye to eye. We have this. tellers and askers wow. butting heads. Mm. Right. Mm. Yeah. Possibly. But here's the, the, the thing about decon, deconverting. Tell me that you're going to deconvert me. Um, I'm interested in exploring your level of confidence 
and the reasons that contribute to it. And if we explore your reasons and your methods, it has implications for your for your self-reported level of confidence. So this isn't deconverting anybody. It's asking the person to, to judge for themselves if their level of confidence that they've self-assigned is justified in their own mind to their standard. Right. And as many of my audience may know, if you watch uh, Daniel Ray part two, which is what is confidence, you may see that there's a lot of resistance from Daniel to even entertain any kind of way to quantify how much weight is put behind any belief that he seems to hold. Interesting. Now, that maybe that is the right way to do it. I'm open to that maybe being the case, but I have so many questions about why that is, why we can't look internally in our own head to see whether or not we think our, the, the painting that we've painted in our mind is a reflection of the external world or what's true. Reed, there's a comment there from Nathan Hartman. Can you throw that up there? Oh, that wasn't the one I was talking about, but uh, yeah. Uh, some people probably shouldn't deconvert or in my view, lower their confidence in the truth of their claim. I think some people really need their belief or I think some people really need to think that their belief is true to a high degree of confidence in, in SE speak. Yeah, there are some people who need to have the belief. I'm not saying that he's a, a person that he may think that he is, or maybe he doesn't think that he is, I don't know. That's for you to decide. Am I okay going through life with these reasons and these methods to think that something is true to a high degree of confidence? Am I okay with that? That's for you to decide. That's not for us to decide. Which makes me think like, how is that, that kind of blurs the line of proselytization because I'm not telling you where you should be on your confidence. I, we leave it up to them to make that decision. Now, there are things that we're doing to facilitate it and, and help a person get to the point of reflection. Maybe that's where the proselytization is. I'm proselytizing for a method for reflection so that you on your own can think about the confidence level that you've assigned to the truth mm -hmm. of your claim. Yeah, it's not about the belief itself. Whenever I'm talking to like a random Christian nowadays, maybe five years ago, I was wanting them to be, you know, deconverted. That might have been my main goal. But now it's, I have a higher virtue I want people to go for being epistemically uh, rational, having good sets of attitudes and virtues related to uh, their epistemic, um, you know, processes that they have, have a whole suite of these attitudes and tools in your life that will ideally help you in your life and those that you love in your society. Um, that's what I want. If we, all, if we all do that, I just can't see the downside. Maybe mm. there is. It's just hard right. for me to perceive. Well, the downside might be we need to hire a hell of a lot more psychotherapists. <laughs> because these beliefs are filling, I think, psychological needs for a lot of people. So there needs to be, like to Daniel's point, what's the alternative if, if you decrease, if you, I'm not decreasing your faith. You are doing it on your own through the through the course of my, me asking questions, by the way. But yeah, what what is the replacement for church or going to the temple or going to the mosque for a lot of people and thinking that there's this lovely father figure out there protecting you and you're going to see your loved ones again? That's a real big question that we as humanists 
as atheists, as skeptics, need to consider. So as the number of people who are religious decrease, I think I've said this before, our responsibility to come up, maybe, maybe is it our responsibility or should we be like waving our flag like, hey, this is happening, folks. Let's start shifting gears here. We need to have resources in place for these people as they start lowering their confidence in this claim because that's going to start happening. It is already happening. I have interviewed people where I said, like, without this belief, what, how would you feel? And they're like, I'd, it'd be great. I'd be fine. I don't need this. And then only to discover after the talk was yeah. through that they didn't quite yeah. they didn't quite realize yeah. what it would be like to move from a 98 to a zero in a in a week or a few days. And they were very unraveled. And I, you know, just had to be there to answer phone calls and give them resources and things like that. Um, though, like, that's why we check. We check to see if somebody would be okay with sliding on their scale beforehand. And if they are telling us that their life would be drastically changed, then we, I want to make that see about that. Why would yeah. it be drastically changed? Right. What would be the alternative? And to Michael's point, where would you be in five years? If you like, you can literally ask them what kind of impact this, this conversation could have on your life and how you view things and listen to right, what they say. Really it's, relating it, to them as a human being. I'm really curious. Yeah. How, how long is compassionate it inquiry? This, this mm -hmm. is ethical, compassionate mm -hmm. inquiry. If you ask me, and if we lose the compassion part, then it's nasty. <laughs> so we, yeah. we have to make sure that we dovetail those two together in my point of view. How long does it typically take for someone to deconvert from such a deeply held religious belief. I, I don't no know. I'm not sure, but I was, I was wondering if, if recovering from religion would have stats, like, are they seeing more and more people calling or less people or the same? Like if we're mm. noticing more and more people deconverting or lowering their confidence in the truth of the claim, <laughs> yeah. we should see maybe like a proportional increase in the number of people reaching out. However, if it's becoming culturally acceptable to not believe and they're like the difficulty of, of lowering your confidence or deconverting, is a byproduct of the religion itself. It's mm. not we that's not baggage mm. that we put on that person. Mm. That's the baggage that the religion itself has put on the person. Mm. So, you know, we're we're responding to something that we didn't even create. And I think I've heard Dali mention maybe one to four years or something like that, but I don't know if that's some people struggle I imagine for, it's a lot I, like I've a relationship. Phone, no, no, I've taken phone calls at RFR. <laughs> There are, yeah. there are 90 year old, there are 80 year olds that call in and they're struggling because in the last 10 years, they realized that this isn't true. Mm -hmm. And then there are people that they deconverted 50 years ago and they still have uh, legacy fears of hell and all this other garbage. Right. right. Uh, I, I think I believed in Christianity for like two years or three between like the ages of, well, maybe it was, uh, maybe it was between the ages of like eight and 11. And my deconversion process was about like two minutes long in the shower. It was like a, a eureka moment. <laughs> like, wait a minute. What all, all those people in India? Why aren't they think? Wait a minute. Really? Wait a minute. Uh, that was my process. But then I've also like talked to people and they've, they were really high. And then after the talk, the next day they're like, I'm at a, a four. And then after that, they're like, okay, now I'm back at a 60. And I've seen it fluctuate with people. They, they, yeah, they have to really uh, absorb. Sorry, Michael. 
think about different ways to process their process. <laughs> anyway, we probably should keep going with this video, right? Yeah, we got two more or, clips. Or, looks like right. Forty-six oh five. Time dry. Some time. By the way, give this video a like if you can. Right now, we only have four likes. Yeah, don't just like this. 40, 40 people oh, watching. Yeah, I like it. Our video. We need some more or, likes. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take a dislike, whatever. This is uh, relevant to what we were just talking about. For my, my love, sometimes it's cold, sometimes it's dry, sometimes it's stale. Sometimes, you know, I wake up in the morning before I have my coffee, I feel like an atheist. But by the time I have my coffee and read a couple of pages in scripture, okay, I'm a theist again, at least. And, and maybe by the time I get a video done in the afternoon and go to the gym, all right, I'm a Christian again. You know, I mean. Oh, that was timely. <laughs> all right. <laughs> we're just talking now, about now, now let's talk about identity. Reed and well, I were talking about this before the show today. Thank oh, you for yeah. that extra like. Yeah. Isn't this the best argument for repeatable and impersonal checks? It's like, you know, this is a demonstration that we're fallible. This going backwards and forwards. How are we knowing that what's bringing us back to the religious faith for Daniel is not being influenced by those personal barriers? Is that what's you... causing him to bounce? And Nathan, you've talked with him quite a bit. What What right. is his primary reasons that he gives? If it's easy to put it in a nutshell, or not. for believing in Christianity, mm -hmm. uh, well, I don't want to mischaracterize because uh, the video isn't out yet. Though, subscribe to my channel; <laughs> it's coming out. Uh, he, he, I asked him how he first discovered it was true, or how he first started, and he, and he tells me that he doesn't know. It was kind of like a realization. Um, I asked him if he got it from the Bible, and he tells me uh, he didn't get it from the Bible. Um, he, he started realizing it after he started going to church. Um, so watch the video. Uh, he'll give way more detail. But honestly, I, didn't, I was less interested in the belief in Christianity and more so interested in his belief in street epistemology. I want to know what he thinks street epistemology is. I don't think that we are seeing what it is the same. And I think a way for us to bridge this gap of understanding about street epistemology is for him to show me what he thinks would be a better way. And I'm going to keep repeating it because Daniel, a popsicle stick tell me how it's done, that. buddy. <laughs> yeah, let's track the number uh, of times uh, Nathan uh, offers that please, challenge. Uh, that I really it? would love to see him talk to uh, um, anyone about anything other than Christianity. I want to know how he would investigate that and whether or not, because he filled out the survey with me, number 19, I often investigate beliefs that do not match my own. And a lot of people agree to that. But it's also the one on the survey uh, where people just agree right off the bat. And there's no way of knowing whether or not agreeing is really where they are. Because people will agree even if they don't investigate beliefs that match their own. Because they that's their perception of themselves, of how they view themselves as somebody who does investigate beliefs that ma don't match theirs. Um, and, and like street epistemology is at its core investigating beliefs. All kinds of beliefs. Um, especially the ones that don't match ours. So we can understand them. Um, and I want to see how Daniel does that. And you mentioned something about identity. You want to play the same Harris clip real quick? Yeah. So this identity, um, 
you'll met he'll met, use these labels like atheist and Christian a lot, and this is going to share the sentiment the sentiment that I hold about these labels. Yeah, hey, I'm speaking. You should know from a somewhat unusual position because I never thought of myself as an atheist before being inducted to speak as one. I never used the word in the end of faith, which remains my most substantial criticism of religion. And as I argued in, in Letter to a Christian Nation, I think it is a word we fundamentally do not need, in the same way that we don't need a word for someone who rejects astrology. We simply are not tempted to call people non-astrologers. There you go. Very well put. Right. It's a weird word. I, I don't like being identified by what I am not. That's very I don't have a problem with the label. I don't have a problem with the label at all. I know that you don't have a, I, I don't personally have a problem with the label either. It's just when it's coming from a place of I don't somebody identify who doesn't seem that. to it's just it's just not my identity. It's just that it's just it's just a strange word yeah, for why it's it's where I stand on one claim on a scale of confidence. Sure. Like I, no, yeah, I think I that it's used it's used to to describe how we're different. And that's the in, in in the context that Daniel is using it. It's used to describe how we are different. And sure, I don't mind. So, a theist, like, does he have the same objection for the word theist? He just used it with theistic uh, knowledge, right? Yeah, I suppose this is more my beef than anyone else's. Uh, <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, like here's um, you know, caption Christianity. No, you could be the first one. No, Go for it. Go out, I'll send you my GoPros. You can go. I'll do it with you. We live in Texas, don't we, or something? Yeah. I'm There's Luke. Yeah, I'm yeah. noticing more and yeah, more on there, Discord. There are a handful There's of people lots. who are theists who do it on the Discord server. Yeah. yeah. We need more examples. Yeah. There's but no the framing, reason why. The framing from Caption Christianity here is that it's atheists versus theists. This is what Street Business is about. For fuck's sakes. Come on. This is Still to this Jesus, day. This is it's 2021. This is what I'm talking about. Any epistemically humble, curious... Um, you know, wanting to be, you know, up their rationality game, human being is welcome to learn and practice and develop street epistemology. This is, uh, it, I don't, yeah. it, theism, atheism, it doesn't even register as like anything interesting to me. Right. Exactly. You can and be on the board of directors for street epistemology international and think that there's a God that yeah, it's yeah. not a requirement. <laughs> Yeah, and we have all sorts of um, denominations. Like at the Australia Friendly event, we got a Jehovah's Witness guy who has a PhD who is awesome. Fuzz the cat. He's uh, he's very polite. You know, he engages in SE. He really likes it because he wants to be challenged and he wants to explore if his justification is right. So he's very honest. Uh, we get all sorts. We got Luke, who's a Catholic. Hey, Maybe this is the start right? of, yeah. of a of a of a movement to get more theists. Or we don't care where you stand on a claim. We want you to learn the tool. We make these videos and tools freely accessible to everybody. There's not a pre-check. I would love right. a we're, we're, we're developing a course for everybody. We've invited everyone that we can possibly contact to help us test the course. And I'd love an SC to practice. I mean, I'd love an atheist, sorry, a theist to practice SC on me. I would, I would find that really interesting. You, Fascinating. A, a theist, uh, listen, a theist would probably be better at doing SE on any of the six of us than any of us. Yeah. Because we are biased and it shouldn't yeah. be the case, but we can't, you can't account for all of your biases and be as neutral as you want to be. So it's imperative that we get people or encourage people to learn the tool, regardless of where you stand on any claim. So we have a diversity of practitioners. The diversity of practitioners in SE is, is what's going to make this better and stronger. So we welcome you. It would yeah. be so and if anyone good. out there is, 
if anyone out there is listening and you have some creative idea, some great question that you want to ask people, show us how it's done. I, I want to learn from, from that and promote your channel and be a part of it. What were we going to say, Rom? Uh, yeah, I was just going to say that, yeah, it would be great to have uh, more maybe Christian people, religious people to to engage in epistemology, or they don't necessarily have to call it street epistemology. I would even right. go and ask them whether they whether they see any value in what we're doing. And if so, what would that value be? Maybe it's just uh, politely engaging in conversations, maybe politely engaging in conversations about beliefs. If you feel like you see anything useful for you, just go ahead and apply it to your conversations as well. As well and we will be happy to learn from you. Yeah. Don't let your fear of the potential outcome get in your way of learning a really valuable tool would be my advice. Yes. Last clip here. Okay, but they tell you to avoid using facts. Don't let the Christian into his pantry of wisdom and, and knowledge use epistemology instead and, and avoid the apologetic arguments and don't turn your conversations into debate. So everything that Nick had said are usually things that, yeah, good conversation that you want to have gets down to that kind of nitty gritty. But in street epistemology, you'll be disappointed if you go look through street epistemology videos that they're having lengthy conversations about textual criticism. What clip was that? Because that didn't seem like that followed. Was that 5630? Uh, yeah. Oh, it was. Okay. It's a, you know, it's the avoid facts. Avoid using facts. Yeah. Is it, is it the avoid facts argument? Yeah. Can we can we end this once and for all? Can we address this, please? Finally, how many times do we have to how talk about this? this? Yeah. <laughs> I can't. I just can't. Somebody else, please. <laughs> can can someone repeat the argument, please? What's what's the argument? Yeah, it was a little vague. Honestly, that clip didn't really live up to what we typed. So, what's the argument, Reed? As he wants to avoid facts. Um, not go into the details, the nitty gritty of any type of nuance or argument. They want to. They're accusing us of wanting to stay abstract and vague, and merely uh, potentially just focus on the epistemology of you know those broad things rather than the nuance and the nitty gritty of arguments. Right, yeah, and so. also in addition to this, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, it's fine. <laughs> you okay. go ahead. Uh, in in addition to this criticism, uh, Daniel also um, talks about, let's see here. Oh, that uh, we street epistemologists hardly define the truth for, for people. So he's, he's saying that um, we hardly give a clear definition for what the truth is. Uh, and we, uh, and this is basically him saying we don't give facts to people or fill people in. Is that, am I understanding that right? Yeah, we don't want to debate. This causes psychological defenses. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, and both of these are partially untrue. It's like the when it comes to the facts, like I ended my talk with Daniel both times we met with any questions at all for me, any questions at all, like completely wide open, completely wide open. And that is their opportunity, right? To ask me. Now, it's is it my fault that I'm not given a good question so I can answer it with my facts for what I consider to be facts? Um, 
if somebody doesn't doesn't ask me these things, are they really truly ready to receive them? Hmm. Um, and now, I mean, after an SE talk, the other person who just got their interview, they're thinking, they're processing. I want to let them do that. Now, I'm not about to fill a void with what I think are facts unless that other person is ready or wants to know. And then lastly, the other thing about truth and the nature of truth and whether or not street epistemologists ever clearly define what the truth is or because it's a there's no glossary in um, at least the digital version of uh, how to have impossible conversations. Um, though that's what the survey is for, <laughs> Daniel, which you and I were filling out together. The whole thing is about how we think about the nature of truth and how we're conceptualizing what the truth is and like 24 different ways to break down how we view our own mental maps and how that those maps relate to reality and how we're using the word true in a sentence. So um, we've done one third of the survey together, uh, Daniel, which will be coming out soon. So hit me up and let's finish it. There's two thirds of the survey left to go. Yeah, I also heard um, a criticism about the way that we are just unidirectional and Daniel feels that it would be better to be, you ask me a question, I ask you a question, you ask me. But what I found with SE is um, we're actually more focused and we actually develop more empathy and understanding of the other person by taking a deep dive into not just their reasons, but how do they know? And so working in a unidirectional way is a much better way to understand another person, what their belief is, how they arrived at it. If we're traveling in both directions, it tends to be like a gish gallop. And then you get this fact thrown at you, this fact thrown at you, this fact thrown at you, and you just don't get anywhere, you know? So it's a much more structured approach uh, at the end of, you know, my 15, 20 minutes of really trying to understand you, you can try to understand me. And, and you know, that's a much better yeah. pathway. Right. right. Otherwise it just becomes like you and uncle uh, Peter, whoever uh, sitting at the dinner table and, you know, just talking over each other. Right. Yeah. 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 We're, it's all at the core of this is the Socratic method. Socrates didn't throw facts at people. He's questioned people. He, it's the midwife method of bringing out the best in the person you're talking to. That's what we're trying to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. All right. Was Any that was that the end? Was yeah, that the end was, of the video? That was all. Well, yeah, pretty much. Damn, that was fun. Well, that was fun. Yeah, One little loose end, awesome. though, in my notes that I didn't mention. Uh, did I mention Ty yet while we were air live? No. Or not? No. Yeah. no. So Tyrone has an awesome channel, Let's Chat, and Daniel likes to reference Ty a lot for some reason. Maybe probably because he watched a lot of Ty's videos. Though, uh, Daniel, you keep making this connection between Peter Boghossian and Ty, and I want to put this to bed. Ty has not read a Peter Boghossian book. I think he got through part of it and like put it down and said, I got a better way. So like Ty has his own way of doing things. And there's Let's Chat. It's a great channel. I'm glad you mentioned that because, yeah, I've seen it. Because it is straight up an error. He's making an error. Ty has not read Peter Bogosian's book. And that's actually well, a it's wonderful broader than way that. to illustrate. I think it's broader why than that. It's not... Okay, yeah. Oh, me. did you want to finish? Well, it's point? just the last part is is just... Uh, there's this 
idea that Daniel has that this is like the SE Bible or something. The book is, and yeah. uh, and there's this other connection with uh, that Ty is doing things by the book, and <laughs> neither are true. Uh, so, I mean, yes, um, how to have impossible conversations is probably the most authoritative thing that you can sit down and read at the current moment. But we're working on a course, so we're about to change that. Um, and that's really the only loose end I wanted to tie up there. I'm glad that you touched on that because that's been my observation too from Daniel and a few other critics is that they watch a video example and think that we're all doing this or we endorse it or we think it's perfect. There, There's no perfect right. SE conversation. You're, you're going right. to notice problems and we're going to notice them alongside you. <laughs> but it's not, not only that. You shouldn't jump on it to just kick the whole concept to the curb. We're like be charitable. Yeah, like bring your criticism forward and don't just be, don't, it's not black and white. This isn't binary. Like Ty's example was probably pretty good. There's probably some things that could have been improved, but that's the case for every SE conversation. I can go out on the street right now and record something and it's not going to be perfect. Right. Why? I'm, I'm, I'm so curious that there's this high standard of, well, it's in the books, so they must all believe it. It's on the website, so they must ad adhere to everything in the books. For Christ's sakes. I mean, I shouldn't swear, <laughs> but I mean, come on, give us, give us a, be a little bit charitable with what we're doing here and help us. I keep saying this. You can help us make this better. And, and your criticisms do. Like, I'm really grateful that you sat down with this guy on his channel and critiqued an SE video. But what you're seeing in the videos is not indicative of everything that we do all the time. I just typed this in the, in the group chat that we had. I think I said something like, the SE of today will pale in comparison to the SE of tomorrow. So it true. should. It should. Yeah. We should, we should cringe should. every time we watch an SE video because we notice something bad. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the impetus to make it better. Yeah. It's not the impetus we... to stop doing it or, or warn people, oh my gosh, what are they doing? This is crazy. No. That's why I really enjoy doing these review videos. This is great. Yeah. Learn a lot. Yeah. Absolutely. A lot of fun. Um, and yeah, for, for more, uh, you can check out uh, the three Daniel Ray interviews that are up on my channel. <laughs> I'm going to plug it again. <laughs> right now, for some reason, uh, part three has very few views, probably because it's a lot of rapport as we wind down the interview. Check it out, though, because rapport is really important. And Daniel and I have a good, uh, very um, like friendly relationship. And that really shows itself in part three. Um, so if you haven't checked that out yet, please go ahead and take a look. Um, and I'll be releasing the other interviews here soon. Yeah, Ty is great. I miss Ty. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. All right, cool. Well, thanks, everyone, for watching. Uh, links in the description for all of our stuff and we'll hopefully we'll be back next week for another video okay see everyone bye bye Later. see ya bye, bye. The Street Epistemology Podcast is a production of Street Epistemology International. You can donate or learn more about this nonprofit organization at streetepistemologyinternational.org the views, guests, and topics expressed here or not expressed here do not necessarily represent those of the organization.